we are uh, continuing uh, talking about um, suffering. Uh, mm -hmm. It's been our theme, trying to lean into the discomfort of talking about suffering and the way that we have been talking about that, if you've not been with us or if you just want a refresher, uh, is that we've been talking about um, a tension of, on one side, alleviating suffering is part of a good full life, and then on the other side of that tension, an embrace of suffering is part of a good full life. We need both. And uh, I really like the, the Dr. King affirmations that we prayed really sort of capture both sides of that really well. Uh, but we've been dancing around between those two, sometimes talking a little bit more about embrace, sometimes talking about a, little, a little bit more about alleviate and trying to hold that tension, um, looking to Jesus as a way to help us hold that tension. So that's where we are. And what are we doing today, Haley? <laughs> today, we are talking about prayer as an effort to alleviate suffering. So last week we leaned more into the embrace side and there are certainly many prayers that focus more on embracing suffering, but we are going to lean into a prayer um, in alleviating suffering. And I think that this is the most instinctive concept of prayer, that when we say, I will pray for you, or, I will pray for that, we're longing That's for we something mean. to yes. be alleviated yep. in that moment. Uh, this is one of the practices of love and care and empathy that really knit together faith communities like ours in this sense of having a community where people are regularly and really earnestly praying for one another. That's a healthy faith community. And so we always want this to be deeply true of BLC. Mm -hmm. The challenges uh, when we talk about this, though, is that because, of, of course, reality shows us that not every effort of prayer becomes reality, mm -hmm. right? Like that's just, that just is. And that's really like all efforts to alleviate suffering. It's not unique to prayer. So you ask any activist or medical professional who's you know trying to alleviate suffering as their job, a therapist, a volunteer, anybody who's in those sorts of roles will tell you not every effort to alleviate suffering becomes reality. So that, that's not necessarily unique to prayer. Um, and, and what that means is we, we want to bat around a few questions. The first one being, how do we stick with this? Just like anything that is about alleviating suffering, when there's just going to be evidence to the contrary. You're trying really hard and suffering's not alleviated. Mm -hmm. How do we stick with it? How do we not succumb to cynicism or apathy? That's one of the things that we're going to talk about uh, today. And yet there's also something that makes prayer different compared to other efforts to alleviate suffering. Obviously, it's, prayer is about the unseen, the spiritual. There's a mystery, mysterious element, right, to it. And that presents challenges for people like us in the modern West where what we, tr we trust things that we can measure and observe. And prayer is not exactly like that. And so into that space of mystery, there, I mean, if you've ever been to church before, there are all sorts of interpretations and ways to make sense of that that you no doubt have heard. And we do want to be clear today that not all popular interpretations or assumptions about prayer are good ones. And so we are going to be encouraging towards certain interpretations and away from other interpretations. We might have to do some unlearning. Um, and so the second question that we're batting around, we're, we're talking about how do we stay with this? How do, we, how do we stick with it? But the other question for prayer is how do we make sense of it in this way that it's different from other things? How do we not, uh, honestly, I think it's fair to ask, how do we not succumb to embarrassment when there mm -hmm. are popular images of prayer that we may not want to be associated with? Mm -hmm. um, that, that, that's those two questions. And I do want to acknowledge that prayer, prayer is deeply personal. And so when we're talking about unlearning, we're not talking about completely tearing down yes. prayer. Yes. Yes. Because what's sustaining to someone else may not be sustaining to me, but I also don't need everyone to be praying the exact same way that I am praying. 
But we do want to offer some helpful things to present prayer as hopeful and approachable. So we're sticking with these questions. How do we stick with prayer and how do we make sense of prayer? So hopefully um, the framings that we will present you with today, hopefully they'll be helpful in some way. And um, as always, take what feels helpful and leave behind what doesn't. We're going to talk about this first framing of prayer that I found really helpful. Um, This is talking about prayer as influence, not an attempt at control. So I think an underlying need for control fuels a lot of prayer. And that's not a bad thing. It's just a natural inclination. We long for control. Uncertainty can make us feel really uncomfortable. And feeling like there is no answer, there's no way to alleviate present suffering, that pushes us to long for divine control Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. But this view that God is in control, God has some solution that's beyond my understanding that's being withheld unless I pray the right prayers and live the right way, that can be harmful. Yes, and in in cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, one of the classic cognitive distortions that you might learn if you ever are in CBT, uh, which is a lot of therapy, one of the cognitive distortions we're all prone to is magical thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of teachings in church settings reinforce this when they talk about prayer. We have to perform the right incantation or pray the right words the right way, and then that will get our desired outcome. Uh, many of us can feel really disenchanted with uh, those kind of teachings, and a very common conclusion that I hear uh, as a result of that about prayer is that uh, it, prayer is great for connecting people together because it's an intimate and vulnerable thing, but nothing spiritual beyond the connection is really happening because that just feels a little bit too much like magical thinking. And and that's a totally fair conclusion, I think. If you have prayed all the ways you were taught to, and a supposedly all-controlling God still won't answer your prayer, like, I don't know, like that that feels like a very, very fair conclusion. Uh, I do wonder sometimes, though, on that question of, like, how do we stick with it? I wonder if it, it um, there is maybe more ground to travel there, because that can make, I mean, it just feels like, well, if prayer is just like any vulnerable connection that I can have, why uniquely is prayer an important part of my diet? Yeah, and I think things can really easily escalate from, well, nothing beyond connection is happening to why even pray. Right, right. Yeah, it just fades out. It fades away. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because when we are dissatisfied with a God that is withholding justice or alleviation from us, we can come to the conclusion that prayer is worthless. It doesn't accomplish anything if it's not rooted in control. And so the flip side is not that we give up all hope in praying, Mm that we fall into apathy. I think we just need a more hopeful picture of God's influence in the world to actually ground our prayers in. So this is where we get at those words that you've chosen of influence and control, and moving away from control and toward influence. Our church uh, encourages people toward what's called an open and relational view of life and God. And so we'll talk about this uh, regularly to give you kind of, if this is the first time you're hearing those words, open, uh, an open view of God is like the, the future is not predetermined. Life is not a book already written by God. Uh, rather, life is an in-process document. And it's just sort of like Google Docs, right? Like we're all, we're all joining the same Google Doc and God is in there too. And, uh, and God is the cursor that is moving along with the text as it is written rather than the book's already written and God's already finished it. Uh, and then relational, this idea of a relational view of life is that what happens in our lives, any of our lives, any of the world, is not just God's will. What happens in life is because because of an interrelatedness between God and the world. All of the influx 
processes that make up our world, including all of us, with varying degrees of like freedom to make our own choices. And sometimes those align with God, and sometimes they don't align with God. And God is there too. And all of this impossibly complex unfolding. And so from this view, suffering, if we're talking about alleviating suffering and why I would want to pray to alleviate suffering, suffering in this view is not necessarily God's will, not even necessarily allowed by God, because God is not the only cause for why things happen the way they happen. Mm -hmm. Now, that can sound kind of controversial in some Christian settings because of this longing for control and for certainty. Mm -hmm. Wait, if God's not in control or, you know, like God hasn't written the book, what's going to happen? And so it feels a little bit destabilizing. But I actually think it's not as controversial as we think. God, in this view, is the most powerful force in all of the world, present to everything in every moment, and always influencing the world toward healing, toward hope, toward goodness, toward beauty, towards justice. That, uh, thank God we have God who is always influencing the world toward that. And then prayer in this view is super powerful. It's, it's one of the ways that we join God in influencing all of those interrelated causes for why things happen. And so for the more, um, for the more scientifically minded among us, this actually coheres really well with modern scientific suggestions like quantum physics. Um, And uh, I don't know if anyone has ever gotten lost on YouTube learning about quantum entanglement. It's fascinating. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's fascinating. And, uh, and so if, if talk of the power of prayer beyond, beyond just like, oh, that was nice because two people connected, but like it actually accomplishes something spiritual. If that talk makes you uncomfortable, uh, there is, there are, uh, because it feels like, you know, magical thinking, it feels like a religious version of that. There are more scientific friendly ways to conceive of prayer. Quantum physics is fascinating in the way that it, it sort of presents a way that can map onto the, the idea of like when I pray, it has influence in the world. Yeah. I'll stick with the intertwining complexity. You can just let me, you can you let can, me watch the, the yeah. YouTube clips on <laughs> quantum entanglement. <laughs> um, but I think uh, as we're talking about this, what's coming to mind for me is this phrase, God works in mysterious ways that might be helpful yes. to shift instead to life works in mysterious ways. Um, because typically the first is, I think, an attempt at control. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, God mm-hmm. works in... <laughs> sorry, sorry. We, had, we had a chat that people were uh, very happy, <laughs> happy with. So we have God works in mysterious ways and yes. shifting that instead to life works in mysterious ways. Yes. That feels more comforting to me because God works in mysterious ways. There is some grand narrative beyond my understanding that can fall really short and leave us really dissatisfied. In fact, I actually think God works in really reliably loving ways. It's life that's really relentlessly complicated. And so thinking of life unfolding in mysterious and unpredictable ways and God being consistently loving and just, that helps me know that there's a trustworthy God that I can actually connect with in prayer. To me, it is more plausible and more attractive to believe in a trustworthy God that influences rather than a like possibly tyrannical God who is controlling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, I prefer the trustworthy God that is influencing. It's just, we're conditioned to believe that control is this higher version of power. It's better than influence because it's controlling. And I think, I don't know, I, just, I, I think that that's a little bit kind of wrapped up in stories of patriarchy and white supremacy and a lot of the things that, um, that make us think that power is domination. And I think that God doesn't operate that way. And thank God God doesn't operate that way. Mm -hmm. I think of, um, 
There's one time in seminary, I was in a conversation with a group of people about whether God's power was controlling, is God in control? And we had talked all of that through. And then right afterwards, um, we had a, a chapel service and I was supposed to be praying. Okay. And so I had just had this really great conversation about how God is not in control. And then I took the mic to go pray and immediately said, God, I thank you that you are in control. <laughs> like, what? Just, but I think it gets at this. It's hard to unlearn. I know, yeah, yeah. because some of the, even if it's just wording, like yeah. certain wording gets stuck in our brains and it can actually take so much effort to catch up with the new ideas that we're thinking of and the new ways of God that we're conceiving of. Well, I'm so glad you brought up how hard it is because I, I, have, some, I have some thoughts on helping our language so that we can catch up with our language. Perfect. Um, so our, our second framing that we wanted to um, bat around today is that our why for suffering determines our how for prayer. And so if we can, if we can pull the threads on like those really good conversations, we can start to teach ourselves to pray with different language or mm -hmm. pray different ways, ways that don't dissatisfy us or leave us, you know, beating our head against the door. Um, so if we're taking this open and relational view that we're talking about of the why for suffering, because life is so impossibly complex, life is mysterious, it's not just God's will, it's a lot of wills all intertwined, then our prayers shift from a focus on more control more control, more control, to oh, more influence, more influence, more influence. It's a different way to pray. And so um, I'll offer kind of like three maybe uh, word shifts that might help us. The first one I'm, uh, I'm, I'm wondering if we can move away from answered prayer and move toward actualized prayer. I like actualized more than answered because the issue is not whether God is withholding or not, Right? That, that's not the issue if this is the view we're taking. Life is way more complex if we're taking this open and relational view. There are trillions upon trillions of processes in our world that are determining why things happen the way they happen. If we are praying and not seeing something happen as a result, it's not because God is not answering it. It's not because God is withholding from us. It's that there are a lot of things going on here and God is exerting all, all the influence God can. And perhaps, you know, like we want to join in on that and we want to be a part of that, but we are longing for actualized prayer, not the God who, for some reason, won't answer, is just withholding arbitrarily. Yeah. So life works in mysterious ways. God's influence yes. of love and healing and justice is dependable, and life is messy. Yes, yes. Um, it's so important to just to stress that our actions and our prayers matter and contribute in this view that we get to participate in bringing about love and healing and justice. Yes, and so uh, so another another kind of like um, switch. This is less like language we use, but it's just sort of the way prayers can sometimes sound. Is I want to move us away from pleading with God and toward partnership with God. Sometimes prayer can, can have a little bit of that, like, uh, you know, God, please, would you? God, would you? Oh, we just, what, please, Lord, you know? And, and, and there's, this, there's this kind of pleading um, behind it. And I wonder if, we, if we're taking this view that we're talking about, the issue is not whether we have God's attention or not. The, 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 the reason to pray is not to try to get an aloof God to pay attention or to, you know, to listen to us or to respond. It, we're, when we pray, we are engaging ourselves alongside that God. Mm -hmm. And so we're joining God in the unseen spiritual side of our relational world. That quantum entanglement kind of explains, y'all. It's really interesting. Uh, and, uh, and from this view, I, I think we get the God who is not 
like distant, you know, like uh, where we, where, you know, we, we climb up the mountain and God is so high up there and we're just, you know, would you possibly listen to me? I think of Monty Python and the Holy Grail and, you know, the, the God in the sky, like, oh, stop. And then God says, stop groveling, you know. And, uh, and so this is a different understanding of where even is God? God is alongside us. God, God isn't outside of time or outside of the world. God is already here working and our prayers join God rather than convince God to act. Yeah. I think for me, partnership language has probably been the most helpful shift in my understanding of prayer. Um, I think of, there's a video, it's like an illustrated version of um, Brené Brown's work around empathy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've shown this before. Yeah, it's a really great one. Um, Maybe I can find a, a link to it later on. But she presents this picture of someone down in a pit. And there's this person at the top, we could maybe say that this is a God figure saying, ooh, it's pretty dark down there. Sorry about that, do you need a sandwich? Like (laughs) super removed from the actual situation. But then she depicts this person coming down the ladder and being in the pit together, saying, I don't have the words to say, but it's just hard and I can be with you in that. Um, And that to me, that partnership, feels so, so important. And it encourages us to trust what our best picture of who God is. We're not left reconciling this desire for a loving, involved God who comes down and sits with us. We don't have to reconcile that with a reality that God is removed and aloof. Well, even your flip of like life works in mysterious ways rather than God works in mysterious ways. If God works in mysterious ways and we're supposed to develop this like devoted, loving relationship with God, like that's really hard. Like Mm -hmm. the reason my wife and I have a good relationship is because her character is not mysterious to me. Mm -hmm. I trust her. We're committed to one another. And so, uh, yeah, again, like it just that, uh, I don't, I don't, it feels like a bait and switch almost if God works in mysterious ways. Yeah. Yeah, And so we get to trust our best picture of who God is. That's really important. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one last kind of formulation, uh, uh, of how our, our why can determine our, our how for prayer. Um, I want to shift us away from outcomes, praying for outcomes, and toward praying for possibilities. Uh, There is not one future good that I have to, like, you know, somehow figure out, like, God, what is the way forward? Is it, you know, is it's kind of a common prayer, right? Like, show me the way, God. And uh, I think of... um, uh, it's wonderful life, right? Like, God, show me the way. Show me the way. And and there's there's there. I don't want to like condescend that because there's there's beauty and there's importance in praying such prayers. But how much more beauty is there if we can pray? God, show me many ways. There are more. There's more than one possibility for a good future, for a, a hope, for life to not be crushed or terrible. There is more than one possibility out there. And so when we squeeze the future down to one specific predetermined already written book that can be that can be that can be like uh, a uh, an overwhelming amount of pressure on a human being mm-hmm. who is praying and feels distraught about their future I, I don't know but if there's one way out there I can't find it oh my gosh I, I can't handle it and this just like I think this releases so much of that pressure if God can offer myriad possibilities of a good way forward not just one that I have to decipher or pray for or figure out I mean there's so much less churn and and fear in that sort mm-hmm. of prayer life so I want to I want us to get to I want us to get to the point where if we're praying for ourselves or praying for others who are in a period of suffering God show us many ways forward what what are what are a lot of different possibilities not just show us the way forward 
Yeah, it takes almost this transactional pressure off prayer and moves it instead to a relationship. I think it empowers us to act in many possible ways and know confidently that God is with us mm -hmm. in all of those possibilities. Yes. There's not this narrow presence of God that's only in the right choice that you have to wait to access until yes. you make the right decision. That other that also gets back to the idea of like, is God withholding from me? If there's one right path forward, then it does kind of feel like God is withholding from yeah. me. And that is hard. It's hard to commit to that. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to look at somebody in the face who's so disappointed and exhausted with prayer and say, you just got to try harder. Like, that just, uh, that, that feels like looking down the hole rather than getting with the person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's an interpretation of a passage from the Bible that I think is helpful here. Um, and we do want to acknowledge that the Bible's many writings are working out their theology about God in real time. So many passages in the Bible can be interpreted uh, to talk about a God that is all controlling, what we're pushing away from. That totally is there. We can see that. Uh, but many passages can also be interpreted in the way that we are suggesting today, in this open and relational way. And in the end, it is up to us to choose which interpretations of the Bible live on. Mm -hmm. And I want to choose for more hopeful interpretations of the Bible to, to live on. I think they, they help us better stick with prayer and they help us make better sense of it. So the, uh, the scripture I have in mind is uh, the story of Joseph in Genesis. And so if, uh, if, if you've ever read the story of Joseph or if you've ever seen the, uh, the play, uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, you might be familiar with um, the story of Joseph. Joseph is abused by his brothers and sold into slavery in Egypt. And then through a course of events, becomes a government authority and uses his authority to save many people from famine beyond Egypt, including his estranged brothers. Boy, but it's a great story, right? Um, and so the famous line in Genesis 50 that I'm going to put on the screen for us is Joseph speaking to his brothers. And he says this, you intended this to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now, I put this on the screen because we could take a control-focused interpretation of this and say, like, God controlled Joseph's brothers to, you know, like, was the, was the origin behind their abuse of Joseph because there was some larger, mysterious good that needed to be accomplished. And so God did that, allowed that suffering to happen because that's what God needed, and Joseph just didn't realize uh, that God's ways are higher than his ways until he did learn that. I don't recommend that interpretation. I think we can read this a different way. I, the interpretation I prefer is God is always influencing what is happening and was there trying to direct Joseph's brothers away from this horrible choice that they make to abuse their brother, leave him for dead, and then sell him into slavery. Always influencing away from that. But they do make this choice. And so what happens? Is God's will defeated? No. God is still influencing, even as this horrible thing that did not originate with God at all happens. And so God is trying to now redeem what has happened and humiliate this horrible thing that's happened so that something good can be squeezed out of it. And so when we talk about God intending purpose, God intended it for good, I don't think we, God intends purpose always with how things originate, God intends purpose in the sense that anything can be redeemed. Even the worst experience of suffering can be redeemed. Mm. That is an interpretation that, I like to me, grabs me and makes me feel like I'm praying to a God who is worthy of my prayers. Yeah, just so much more redemptive. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to transition to the last framing here. 
Um, and this is the idea with prayers around prayers of healing. Healing is not returning back, but reimagining anew. I think prayers for healing are one of the most common reasons for praying. And in my experience, we have a pretty limited picture of what healing should be. And it often means returning back. Returning back, yes. We have some ailment, someone we love is sick or hurt, and we ask God to heal. Typically, it's a longing for things to go back to how they used to be. Mm. Mm -hmm. But with that narrow picture of healing, there's a really wide possibility for disappointment. And again, this doesn't mean that we abandon hope for healing or that God can't offer healing. But instead of returning back, healing is reimagining anew. It's propelling us forward in new ways. And healing may not always look like what we expect. The possibilities are really wide, and we get to move beyond healing as an exchange. Because even if there is a healing that removes an ailment completely, you don't move forward living your life in a way that disregards that experience. Yes, yes. Our bodies and our minds hold the suffering that we've gone through, and it changes us. There's an audiobook that I listened to recently um, called What My Bones Know by Stephanie Fu. And it's a memoir about the author's journey with complex PTSD. Mm. It's a depiction of how deeply her suffering has formed her, but also her resilience in moving forward. Our bodies hold on. We can't go back. We move forward as inevitably changed people. I think even when I'm in a happy and hopeful place, I still know the experience of being in a depressive episode. Yes. That changes me. And so for healing... You're better for that. I am. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm more empathetic. I yes. have a better understanding of myself. But for healing to be going back, we have to have suffering amnesia almost alongside it. I think that's so important. And, and um, if we're talking about this... The, this view of God and the, and life is open and relational. I think one of the other important things is like God is the same way. Mm -hmm. God is the, in in the same way that like um, th uh, a God who is above suffering or removes from suffering or like forgets suffering doesn't that that doesn't have the same pull for me. That doesn't have have the have the empathy and have the uh, the magnetism. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the middle of World War II writes, "Only a suffering God can help." Mm -hmm. And and I just I just think like that is that. That's it. That's it. I, I don't want a God who doesn't know what it's like. I don't want a God who ha can't remember or has never felt that. I want the God who, who has gone through those things and is reimagining anew. I mean, that just, that just feels so, so important. Like, almost the idea that, like, God's love and ability to empathize is expanding hmm. as life unfolds. It's, it's, like, it's like our universe constantly expanding. God's love is constantly expanding. It's not finished yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's, kind of, that's kind of a cool thought, right? Of all the love that we know right now, it's even bigger in this moment and this moment and this moment because every experience of pain that anybody goes through, God is our fellow experiencer walking alongside of us and that then forms the God the, the, uh, the, the way God then comes to you in the next moment. I mean, that's a beautiful thought, I think. It really is. I love the fellow experiencer yeah. language. Yeah. And when we widen the possibility of what healing moving forward can be, we narrow the possibility for disappointment yes. because there's simply more options for what healing looks like. And if we are disappointed, we have a trustworthy God that we can come to mm -hmm. for understanding. A tiny bit of embrace language here, even though yeah. we're sticking with alleviate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think um, some storytelling that you did around this idea of peace, 
last week of mm -hmm. people who were going through really difficult things but seemed to have a peace about them. Mm -hmm. um, prayers for a peace that surpasses understanding feel really important here. Mm. This peace is a practice that we get to have. And it's so redemptive to see God as a co-sufferer who's longing for healing right alongside yes. of us and who offers us peace in the wide scope of what that healing might be. Yeah, 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 I love that. Um, okay, so I want to uh, I want to pray for us, um, but I, I think I have one last um, just my my own personal experience with these ideas that I wanna that I want to share. Um, a, one of my uh, favorite theologians is a guy named Tom Ord, and he says that what turns out to be one of the most comforting phrases to those who have long suffered, who have experienced like meaningless or random pain, or who've been abused or experienced tragedy. Um, and when, when we have conversations like this, I always count myself among those because I've lost a mother and a brother to senseless pain. I lost my mom to cancer and I lost my brother to a stroke. And so what often happens in these situations is we, somebody will cry out, why didn't God stop this? And what Tom Ord says is that one of the most comforting phrases in the world is God can't. And that's, that's weird, right? It, it, it shouldn't, it, it, it feels off. It feels like blasphemous to say that. God can't. But to embrace that the answer to my question, why didn't God stop this, is God can't, is a beautiful and comforting thing when you have experienced the worst things in life. Because a God who can single-handedly, magically stop suffering before it happens is asleep on the job. And that doesn't comfort me. What, where were you? Oh, magical, controlling God, right? That doesn't comfort me. But the God who can't single-handedly stop things, doesn't mean that God is not powerful, but can't just snap a different reality into existence. That God, full of influence, full of presence in every moment, longing to redeem anything that happens, even senseless pain. That God is so worth following and so worth praying to and so powerful to help. And that, that is the God that I have learned to pray to and experience reacting to me and responding to me and meeting me. And if you are in a place today where you have ever found yourself, either for your own experiences or behalf, uh, on behalf of somebody else, saying, why didn't you stop this? If, that, if, that's, if that's come out of you, flowed out of you, the most comforting phrase in the world is, God can't. God is, God is doing a different thing. God is the, the great influencer who is there trying to redeem everything. But God is not a controlling puppet master in the sky withholding good things from us. That, that God is not worth following. And so I want, I want that to be rattling around in our brains when we are praying. Who is the God we're praying to? Not an aloof, controlling God, but a trustworthy, influencing God. Okay? If you would get yourself comfortable, I want to pray. Because I, I have no doubt that there are pains and frustrations and exhaustions and sufferings that are coming in our, our minds right now, going on. God, so many of us need to be comforted right now. 
I acknowledge on behalf of everybody here in our church and in our community, I acknowledge on behalf of our world that is so full of violence that so many of us are longing for something different, are longing for peace where there is where there's war, are longing for relief where there is chronic pain, are longing for a day of purpose and joy where there's depression. We're longing for some sort of aim where there's like despondency and just like that death by paper cuts experience of life. We have specific things we're longing for. We are praying for jobs. We are praying for loved ones who are sick. We are praying for our own sense of purpose. We are praying for so many specific things, all of us. And the God who could change things but just frustratingly isn't, that God is not worthy praying to. And so we pray to you, God, who are the all-influencing God, who is the, the all-experiencing God, who is right there alongside us, who showed us what you are like in the person of Jesus. Help us. Be with us. Move things so that more possibilities for good futures can, can, can come to us. Open up, open up the sense that like, there, there, is, there is hope for me in this situation, in this relationship that feels like it's failing. Open up hope for me in this, in, 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 like I wake up in the morning and I just can't get out of bed because I'm so sad and, and down. Open up possibilities for us, God. And as we pray, remind us what you are like and that you are there with us. We are not alone. We need not exhaust ourselves pleading with you, trying to convince you to respond. You are here already, right next to us, in our midst. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.